Amen. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, we lift up our lives, we lift up our hearts to you in surrender, and we confess that we don't often do so all that well. But we recognize and we, we know that it's, it's for the best, it's, it's, it's for the good. So, Father, would you help us in that? As we continue to consider this idea, as we look to your scriptures now, Lord, would you please give us your spirit to understand what you have before us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome to Current, everybody. My name is David. Are any of you facing what might feel like an impossible situation right now? I mean, something where you just are feeling, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, or I can't see the path forward. I mean, here we are now, almost a year into shelter in place. I can't help but think just about all of us are facing what might feel like an impossible situation, or two or three. I mean, it might be in a loved relationship, a close relationship with a loved one where you're just feeling the strains of things that feels impossible. Or maybe it's in a work dynamic, a job situation. It's just, you don't know how you're going to get through it. Or maybe it's an impossible situation, you know, such that it's like just an internal struggle, just a battle on the inside. God, I don't know how I'm going to get through all of this. Imagine many of us are facing impossible situations right now. Well, today we're going to consider how we can face impossible situations. We are continuing our series onward through the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as we look at the ancient accounts of men and women of faith and how they were able to follow the Lord in the midst of just really hard and trying circumstances. How they were able to not just survive through it, but thrive. And and what's more, be able to partner with God in his life-changing eternal work. And today we come to the famous story of the parting of the Red Sea. Talk about an impossible situation. So today we're going to consider how we can face an impossible situation. And specifically, we're going to consider this in three ways. We're going to look at the plan behind impossible situations, the purpose for impossible situations, and the power to face any impossible situation. So the plan, the purpose, and the power. So I'm going to first read from our text in Hebrews 11, verse 29, and then I want to read the original count found in Exodus 14. So if you're following along with the Bible at home, I encourage you to open up to Exodus 14 as well. We're going to, we're going to spend some time there today. And if you're, you don't have a Bible in front of you, that's totally fine. The words will be on your screen. So Hebrews 11:29 says, By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And then back in Exodus 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pihariath, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. 
The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pahariath, opposite Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Why have you done it? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Let's skip down now to verse 31 which says, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord delivering them that day, displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. All right, well, to catch us to speed, uh, up to speed, two weeks ago, we were looking at the life of Moses, which obviously here he is showing up again. And where we find ourselves in the overall arc and story of the Bible is the people of God, the Israelites, found themselves in, in, in Egypt, settled there in Egypt. Uh, long story short, Abraham settled in the promised land there in Canaan, and then he had Isaac, and then he had Jacob. Jacob, in turn, had 12 sons who would become the tribes of Israel. One of those sons was Joseph. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. The slave traders took him down to Egypt and after a series of God-ordained events, Joseph rose to power, second command only to Pharaoh in Egypt. And during his time of power there, Joseph helped not only Egypt, but all the surrounding region really weather a severe famine. And it was this famine that brought the people of God down to Egypt where they settled and just really thrived there. They started to grow and multiply. Well, eventually, at the beginning of uh, the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, we're told that a pharaoh, a new pharaoh rose to power who, to whom Joseph meant nothing. He didn't know about how Joseph had took, taken care of them, just had no real affection toward the Israelite, the Hebrew people. And so as this new pharaoh saw the Hebrews growing and multiplying and becoming so prosperous, he began to get really insecure and, and fear that they would if an enemy were to attack them, join with that enemy and overpower the Egyptians. So that Pharaoh enslaved the Israelites. And so the Israelites were enslaved. Well, the Lord eventually rose up, uh, raised up Moses to deliver them and sent Moses to Pharaoh, uh, helped Moses kind of work it out to the point that eventually after after a number of miracles, Moses was able to lead the people out of Egypt into the desert. But as you can tell from the story that we just read, it wasn't too long into that journey out of Egypt that the people of God quickly found themselves uh, backed up against the wall uh, in, in trouble with an army coming after them. And from what we know, there was about 2 million Israelites back then, men, women, and children, we're talking about a very broken, uh, tired people trying to make their way out. And 
essentially defenseless, and now they're facing what amounts to be an impossible situation. So first, as we consider how we can face impossible situations, let's consider the plan behind impossible situations. So let me reread verses one through four here. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back in a camp near encamp near Pahariath, between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea, directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. So there's no consensus to the exact location where the Israelites found themselves here. We do have a number of references, of course, by location. So we know roughly where they were. Uh, But while we might not know the exact location they found themselves in, it is clear that they were completely hemmed in front, forwards, and backwards. I mean, to to the south, there was the barren Egyptian desert, which would have just been daunting and just perilous for them to go through. To the north, there were massive military fortresses that the Egyptians had, but also other hostile people. Uh, Then to the east was the Red Sea, of course, which is too deep to cross, no matter where they would have been. And then to the west was the world's greatest army coming after them. The Egyptians with all of their chariots and smelling blood in the water. And they were ticked off. And, you know, being a kind of a a military history uh, enthusiast. Uh, if, if you didn't know this, the Egyptian power at that time, these chariots were utterly dominant in warfare and just instilled incredible fear because nobody could stand against them, at least at that time. And the Israelites had nothing to do so. So it was a scary situation. Well, could you just imagine being one of the Israelites marching out of Egypt, getting to this place that you, you're kind of walking towards, your, your ways out, but then you hear a little rumble. You can't make out what exactly it is, but you hear a rumble. But you look, and you look back. All these Israelites just look back and they see the dust rising. And over, you know, and, and, and coming across the horizon were these chariots. I mean, that's just enough for my blood pressure to start rising. Just thinking about it, how defenseless they were, how they had all their possessions, their kids, and really no way to kind of deal with that problem. But here's what I want us to not miss here, is the fact that how did they get there? Look again. It says, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, go here and there, and I want you to go do this and this. And and then the Lord said, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart to have him pursue you guys. Meaning, how did the Israelites find themselves into this impossible situation? But at the Lord's leading and at the Lord's directing. Now, let me ask you, if you knew that God were behind you facing whatever impossible situation you're facing, how would that make you feel? That God intentionally orchestrated it. Now, real quickly, that's not to say every hard or impossible-like situation that we face is necessarily by God, uh, of God orchestrating it in our lives. We all know that we can personally just make bad decisions and put our own selves into impossible-like situations. But even in that sense, it's, you know, it's not like God isn't sovereign. He's still sovereign. He still can't allow it, allows it to happen. But regardless, how does it make you feel that God is behind things and sometimes even orchestrating intentionally the impossible situations that you and I face? If that makes you uncomfortable, if that makes you think, man, that, that kind of stinks, you'd be in good company 
I mean, look at how the Israelites responded here to their impossible situation. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites, Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. The Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They're not enjoying the situation, even as it was God's doing. How would you feel knowing that God might be orchestrating the impossible situation you face? But let me ask it this way. Could that thought that God could very well be behind orchestrating whatever impossible situation you or I are facing, could that thought actually be encouraging? I would hope so. In fact, it should. What's interesting about the text here is in the chapter before this one, so in Exodus 13, the chapter right before the one we're reading, we actually get some behind the scenes thinking of the Lord and what's going on here as he directs the people into this impossible situation. Look back in Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the desert road toward the Red Sea. Now, which is it? <laughs> Here we're told that God did not lead them into another impossible situation where they would have had to face the Philistine peoples, which is a very warring group and would have just no doubt brought war to these Israelite people. Okay, God did not lead them into that impossible situation. No, instead he led them into another impossible situation at the Red Sea. What's going on there? We're told here in verse 17, it's because God says they, they will face war if they go in that direction. They might change their minds and return to Egypt. In other words, they could have and would have quit. God is saying, I know the people and where they are, how fragile they are. And if they go in the direction of that Philistine country and they have to face war, they're going to have the ability to quit and they're going to quit. Therefore, I'm going to lead them into, towards the Red Sea where they cannot quit and I will deliver them that way. I mean, that's what's so interesting about this text. What was God doing? He was delivering them from enslavement to Egypt. I mean, something that they just hated, loathed. Of, of course, they didn't want to be slaves. And God was saying, I'm going to do that, but the only way I can do that for you is to lead you through this impossible situation. And friends, we know that sometimes that's how it works in our lives. That in order for us to get into the newfound freedom and life that we long for based on where we're at now, is sometimes it does take going through a hard, if not what feels like, impossible situation. God was leading them through an impossible situation. His promise to those who love him, it says in Romans 8, is to work for the good in all things. He works for the good in all things. And so sometimes what he might do in your life and in mine is deliberately lead us into a Red Sea impossible situation. Why? Because he wants to lead us to a place where we can ultimately break through and experience the life and freedom that he wants for us. But we have to recognize that it can't often come through our own power. And boy, don't we know that. 
sometimes impossible situations, are by nature impossible because we've tried everything in our own power to kind of deliver ourselves. But there's some things that God wants to bring us through that require us to trust him, even when our own power is not enough. There's this wonderful phrase in the book of Psalms by the ancient King David that he claims from time to time there when he says, the Lord is my shield. The Lord is my shield. I love this thought because the ancient king um, would have known ancient warfare. I mean, that's how it went back in those days. They were just battling all the time. So he was aware of like military tactics and, and, and weaponry and, and equipment. And so when he said, the Lord is my shield, that was, those weren't just words. Those were like, there was a lot of thought there. And it's interesting because more recently, I, I have come to learn that when David refers of, to shields, and it's translated in our English as shield, in the Hebrew it actually refers, it can refer to one of two different types of shields. I mean, one of the shields, I think we all kind of know, it's like, you know, the one that you kind of hold on your arm and it's kind of uh, sturdy but nimble. You can hold one sort of sword or spear or whatever in order to attack and kind of defend yourself. That's one kind of shield. But then there's another shield that often David is actually referring to when he says, the Lord is my shield. That's not like this typical, you know, what we see in the movies, our movies at least, uh, shield. And that was a big shield built or crafted specifically for ancient warfare and, and sieging cities. And so what it meant was it was, a, it was a shield that was crafted just to completely surround and protect whoever had to just charge these ancient fortresses where the enemy would be up on, you know, the ramparts shooting arrows, slinging, you know, poison and hurling, you know, uh, flaming, uh, whatever, projectiles. And so they would have to have a shield that would really cover them to be a, a slit there, of course, for them to be able to see, but it would just allow them to charge and protect them from, from the sides and from above because when they got close, they needed to be protected that way as they can continue to just press forward. And when David said, the Lord is my shield, he's talking about just having a full covering. But you know what's also interesting about those shields? Where was the one place in these shields that I just described where you were vulnerable? Of course, that's from the back. And so if you were to drop the shield and run or turn around and flee, that's when you were exposed. The Lord is our shield. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Lord can't cover us even when we get scared and we run the other way. He can even do that. But the point here in our text, and what I believe we see here as he's showing how he met the Israelites in their impossible situation as they faced the Red Sea, is it's a call for us. It's an invitation for us to move forward in the Lord. That perhaps the Lord wants us to have a breakthrough moment. And, and what that requires is pushing forward. We might not know how it's going to work out. We might be like struggling or nervous of the, the path forward, but you can trust that the Lord is with you and guiding you, that he is your shield. So that's the plan behind the impossible. Now let's look at the purpose for the impossible situation. The purpose. Uh, Exodus 14 verse 4 uh, continues with God telling Moses, I will make Pharaoh pursue them. I will gain glory for myself, God said, through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Then skipping down to after the Red Sea had been parted and the people delivered. In verse 31, it says, And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. 
So really, we're given two purposes or reasons for this impossible situation that they face. The first and, and most importantly, uh, most important one is verse 4, where it says that God would gain glory. He did this to gain glory for himself. And then verse 31, we're told that he also did for the people to, to fear him and put their trust in him. Now think about the importance of the Red Sea parting, the Red Sea miracle in the life of the Israelites, including today. I mean, even if you haven't read the Bible all that much, I imagine you know that after Exodus, you know, this account, there are any number of references going forward in the scriptures hearkening back to, do you remember when the Lord parted the waters for us to get through. And then he delivered us in that way. I mean, I could just list off reference after reference. In fact, I have them listed here, but for the sake of time, we'll just keep going. Isaiah, David, prophet after prophet saying, remember that the Lord parted the Red Seas and he delivered you that way. What's the principle here? What, what can we understand? It's that sometimes God places us into impossible situations because he wants to give us a clear sign of his power and his work in our lives. For starters, he wants to draw us closer to himself to experience more fully his love. And frankly, some of the best ways that you and I can experience that love, that intimate care, to just know it's there, not just at the head level, but, but the heart and experience level, is to have gone through our own Red Sea and, and seen him show up. So he wants to draw us near in relationship, but also he gives us Red Sea moments in order to help us face other challenging circumstances so that we can draw strength when we face whatever other impossible-like situation we end up facing. In other words, the Red Sea moment became kind of a spiritual marker for the people of God. And God wants to give you and me spiritual markers where we can taste and see that He is good, He loves us, He, he actually cares for us, and that we can trust Him going forward. But you know what's sad? It's sad that we oftentimes head back to Egypt. You know, we run into our own Red Sea of a moment and we just choose the easier route instead of choosing to continue or go ahead and follow God and what he calls us into and how he would have us live. But he wants to provide for you. He wants to show up in your life to gain glory for himself, but also to help you know that you can trust him. You know, one of the Red Sea moments in the life of the church is the fact that that current is even here. I mean, for many of you, I imagine this could be a bit of a Red Sea moment for you. And you don't even have to go back to the earliest of days to be having been a part of the team that was in, you know, the living room, to, like thinking and dreaming about, God, what are you calling us to do as we start a church here in the Bay Area, in the Silicon Valley? I mean, you don't have to go back that far to know that it's been an utter miracle that things are, are happening and that we've seen the, the fruit, so to speak, uh, that we've been seeing. By God's grace, people putting their faith in Jesus, being able to have an impact in the community, the church growing and, and all the rest of it. It's been such a Red Sea miracle of a moment. Why? Because yes, while we've had, we've always had an incredible team, very smart, uh, talented, and, and all the rest of it, none of us going back anywhere near the beginning has any false impression that it was because of any of us but all that the Lord's doing. I mean, here we are in an area that is known among the church startup world as the graveyard for church startups. 
It's the Bay Area. It's not known for being all that receptive towards Christianity. It's expensive and all the rest of it. And yet by God's grace and for his glory, he's been doing this wonderful work, which also means that we can look back as a church body and claim that and be strengthened by that, giving him praise and knowing that we can face whatever impossible situation we can face, including this next season of perhaps relaunching here as we, re, as we begin to look to regather. But let me ask you, do you have a Red Sea-like moment in your life? And you know, if, if one doesn't immediately come to mind, that's okay. The, the point here is not to force create a Red Sea moment, right? It's not to go out there, I just need to put myself in a, an impossible situation so I could see God show up. And hey, impossible like situations are going to come. But I would say to you that you, a couple of things. You, one, you can draw from others and, and their Red Sea moments. And if you know somebody in your life who's experienced something, you know, and you you genuinely know what they've been through and how the Lord provided for them, that can be a Red Sea moment. In fact, the Israelites for generations and generations to come would look back on their ancestral experience and deliverance of this Red Sea and claim that for themselves. So you can draw from others, but you can also look to your own story a little bit more carefully because I imagine there's something, at least something, that you can point to as a Red Sea moment in your life. So for instance, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I imagine you can look back to the moment or the clarifying understanding that brought you initially into the faith, that helped bring you into the faith, just understanding who God is, that moment of like, man, there it is. Or maybe it was a gradual, but you just got to the place of, yeah, God, I know you're there, and that you love me, you pursue me. And then to those of you who don't identify as Christian, uh, maybe you can look at your life and consider all the different events out there that perhaps might point to a God pursuing you. In fact, I've lost count of how many friends have shared with me when they've put their faith in Jesus. They look back over things in their life and had originally thought of them as coincidence after coincidence, but then just added up to to be too great and to, to not be a coincidence. And they determined, they concluded there has to be God. And this God loves me. Sometimes God brings us into impossible situations to serve as a breakthrough. Sometimes he does it in order to to gain glory for himself, but also to strengthen our relationship with him and help us face future impossible situations, knowing that he was there then and he will be there for us in, in the future. So there are the the plan, the purpose in impossible situations. Finally, it's consider the power to face any impossible situation. The power to face any impossible situation. So the Israelites grumbled to Moses, and then we see in, in verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. When I was studying for my ordination exam to become a pastor, um, one of the things I I did was kind of look to have a a theme verse for each book in the Bible to kind of help me if, if if I was asked around that that kind of thought to just be able to kind of put it together. And so as I was going through Exodus, I thought, you know what, this is the theme of the book of Exodus and their deliverance, that the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. I mean, that just really summarizes really the whole book of Exodus. But then it also struck me that, you know, these verses could actually also be the theme of the entire Bible. <laughs> Not just Exodus, but the entire 
Bible. The Lord will fight for you. You need only stand still because that's the gospel. That's the good news of Jesus, that when there was no way, Jesus made a way. In verse 21, we're told, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back. That's saying Moses got to be a part of the miracle. But make no mistake about it, it was the Lord who was doing the work, who was actually driving the sea back. The Lord was the one actually performing the miracle. But the good news of Jesus is infinitely better than delivering that people from the Red Sea, as wonderful as that was. There's a place in the gospel account of Luke that follows the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus where Jesus went up on the mountain. He took a few of his closest disciples and he went up on the mountain and the occasion is is referred to as the transfiguration of Jesus. It was a time in which Jesus there up on the mountain really pulled the veil back and just just showed his utter glory. Just just the the he just shone brightly and was just they got to see his true glory in that moment. Here's what it says. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him when they went up on the mountain to pray. So he took these close disciples. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. So it says in in the English, in our translation, that they spoke about his departure. Well, in the Greek, that's the same word as exodus. They were talking about his great exodus. Mind you, Jesus was having this conversation with Moses, as well as Elijah, about his great exodus. His exodus, even greater than the delivering of the Red Sea. And what was his great exodus? What was Jesus' great Red Sea moment? You see, when Moses stretched out his hands and through him God provided a way through on dry land, the gospel is Jesus, the Son of God, stretched out on the cross his hands and provided a way for us to come back into relationship with God. We need only stand still. The Lord will provide for you. You need only stand still. The good news is Jesus has made a way for us when there was no way, when it was impossible for us to get back to God because of our sin, our selfishness, our lack of love, and and all the rest of it, of just the ways that we don't live the way that God calls us to. When it was an impossible way, Jesus, by stretching out his hands on the cross and offering forgiveness to all who would receive him, made a way. We need only stand still. And the way that the gospel captures that thought is the way to receive what Jesus has done for us is just to receive it. In fact, in John's letter, his, his gospel account, he says to all who believe on Jesus, all to, who, to, to all who receive him, God will give the right to become children of his. And so if you're here today, you can receive the good news, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, of forgiveness of sins that he accomplished for you on the cross. And because he rose again on the third day, defeating sin, defeating death, you can have life forever with him. Ultimate freedom, ultimate liberty uh, from whatever impossible situation we could ever face. Jesus has done that for, for, for you and for me, and you can receive that today. And for those of you who have received him, uh, don't you see that if Jesus has done that for you and for me, if he's provided that way when it was impossible, 
Will he not provide a way no matter what we're facing here and now? Whatever impossible situation. I mean, even the greatest Red Sea that we will face in our life, death itself, unless the Lord comes back before then, uh, one a Red Sea that we'll all face, even that will hold no power over us. Even that, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we will enter into life and freedom because of. So, are you facing any what feels like impossible situation today? You know, the more I think about it, the more I realize I'm, I'm much more like the ancient Israelites than I would have ever thought of. I mean, I'm just, I'm the kind of person who likes his Egypts. I leave it, I leave my Egypts reluctantly. And when I come to anything that even appears so much as like a Red Sea, I, I, get, I get unsure. But I can tell you, that when the Lord has so graciously been patient with me, and even as I've kind of reluctantly followed him, he has only ever been exceedingly good and wonderful. He is good and you can trust him, you can lean into him. So perhaps the impossible situation you're facing today is bringing you to the precipice of a breakthrough. Perhaps the impossible situation you're facing too is bringing you to the precipice of getting to experience God's goodness in a greater degree in, in, in your life and to have a spiritual marker that you'll always be able to look back to to not only help you get through future impossible situations but point others to that, so that they too can trust Him, gaining more glory for the Lord and helping more people find life and liberty, freedom, in Christ because of what he's done. And then no matter what, you and I have the power available to us to face any and every impossible situation because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, purposely and intentionally orchestrated facing the impossible for us on our behalf in order to bring us into a relationship with himself. And if he's done that, he can and will be with you and with me no matter what impossible situation we face. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm just continually amazed that you don't just call us into something that you, you haven't first done for us or, or haven't done for us in even greater measure. On the cross, you face something infinitely worse than the Red Seas that we can face or the Red Sea that the Israelites face. And, and you did that for us. Please forgive us for, for how, how often we're, we're so much like the Israelites, reluctantly following you, even when we know you're good and your plan for us is, is good. But thank you for, for so graciously and patiently loving us, even still. Would you please help us follow you when we face what, what might feel like impossible situations? And would you, would you help us bring, to, uh, bring glory to your name when we do? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's continue this time of worship now through song. <laughs> 